0: ladies and gentlemen and we are back after a short brief break. I am Amber Vickers. We got Tara. We got the birthday girl Janelle and then we have (laughs) Brittany and this is Step Back Sisterhood. Today we have some interesting topics but first we're going to talk about COVID and what is the NBA going to do about COVID. I'm going to start with Janelle. Janelle what do you think the NBA should do about COVID?
1: The NBA I believe needs to take more of a precaution than they've already have, because obviously, you know, there's a few breakouts and everything. And what was really concerning about it was last week when uh, Seth Curry was diagnosed with COVID and no one bothered to test or contact trace the wizards. That was really concerning to me. I know they have their own routines, especially Now, and they are as strict as they are, I just can't wrap my head around it. You know, why didn't they trace or contract trace Washington? I mean, he's bound to get it from somewhere within that arena. Or maybe Seth already had it and they, I mean, I I don't know. I have no idea. I can't call it. But I just find it odd that they haven't contract. Contact Trace, Washington.
2: I think what you're referring to, like, brings up a larger problem for me, which is where the information is coming from. And who's out in front of the communication about what is going on because it's leaving a lot of us on Twitter to try to figure out what is happening rather than having like one source. I mean, right now, it's, you know, Shams and Woge are the people who tell us and reveal when somebody has had a, a, um, a test and whether or not people are sitting out with protocol. And there's a lot of like new vocabulary words that we're using like contact tracing. And like, I didn't certainly use quarantine in my daily, you know, (laughs) vocabulary, there's all this new stuff going on. And I would love to see the NBA being the body that is explaining and breaking this information to clear up some of this confusion that we have.
1: On Twitter, I found something pretty interesting. And this is from Tim Cato from The Athletic. He tweeted the NBA's trigger for self-isolation due to close exposure is spending 15 or more minutes within six feet of an individual who tests positive. They say the scenario doesn't happen during games, which is why teams don't have to fully
3: isolate. What do you think about that? I don't think that makes sense at all, especially when, I mean, we see players, you know, especially during later on in the game, uh, you know, trying to defend other players who potentially could be exposed um, and maybe they're not necessarily talking, but they're definitely communicating to their team um, d- during defensive and offensive sets. So are they saying like, Oh, no one is talking during the entire game um, that folks aren't like sweating. Like these were the concerns that were happening earlier this season or, you know, earlier last year that caused, the league to close the you know to um stop games for three to four months i I am very concerned with how the league is handling this i you know as soon as i heard about the seth curry situation like a couple of thoughts came to my head is that one, they should have postponed any games associated with the wizards because the wizards played the Sixers the night before. Like I could sort of understand not going like all the way back to a week um, for some of these teams because they hadn't played, you know, he only recently got it. Although like personally speaking, and I'm just talking about myself, they probably should be going back as far as a week because you could potentially be contagious for um, up to 14 days, um, asymptomatic that is, and then be um, contagious for up to 14 days. But that being said, I can understand them not wanting to go all the way back because that could impact a lot more teams. But at the very minimum, you should include the team that player that the team was on was playing back to back with. And that was very, I, i feel like that's going to hurt the NBA moving forward. And I just don't know why they didn't um, think about that at the time.
1: According to Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe, he says that it's uncertain how Jason Tatum contracted the virus. But according to research by medical experts, it's nearly impossible to pass the virus during an NBA game because according to the CDC's website, transmission risk, Is with an individual who has had close contact within six feet for a total of fifteen minutes or more. That still doesn't make any sense. I mean, you again, you got sweat, you, you're yelling, spit flying, yeah,
3: Uh, breathing hard. I
1: mean, that don't make any sense at all.
3: It just seems as though the league is trying to force games to be played. Um, and this may be the Board of governors slash the owners of the teams sort of forcing games to be played, even when there is a risk of a player being exposed. Um, like I said again, like the Wizards should definitely had had games postponed. Um, maybe not the Nets, and the only reason why I say maybe is because Seth Curry, you know, they he was sitting on the 76ers t- side the entire time before he's yanked. But, it, um, but he still was exposed to other members of his team. Like, I know that they have those, like, you know, the new seating where it has like those glass um, or it's probably plastic, not glass, but the um, plastic barriers. Yeah. 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 But it, it just seems as though if players are practicing before the game, which I know is happening, I, I, I think that they sort of spread out. um, But if, the NBA just wants to be safe. They didn't schedule the back half of the season on purpose, like postpone games, at least one or two games, figure out if a player or if other players have been infected by COVID and then, you know, move on and then reschedule the games for later on in the season. Like they're essentially going to cause, I guess maybe this is another point, too, is that, you know, the Sixers, once they realized that they were going to be down a ton of players, eight to nine players, they started to essentially lie about people who were hurt or not as a result. Like that it's starting to snowball what is actually happening. And that's not a good thing moving forward.
2: There's definitely concern about injury for the players who are not sick and when you have to play so many games if if not back to back every other night i mean pretty much every team is either playing every other night they have a back-to-back or maybe they're super lucky and they have two days rests but when you're constantly super short-handed and there's no mechanism for you to get extra players for a short time 10-day contract one-day contract i don't know uh that's something i find concerning as well
0: I'm just confused. I don't know what the heck is going on, what's left, what's right. I just don't know. Um, it's very weird to see how the NBA handled the bubble and how they're handling this. I know it's two separate types of you know situations because the bubble had limited teams and the NBA, you know, has in the regular season, normal regular season has all of its teams, but how can Adam Silver address this issue and please both parties? That's what is probably the biggest concern he's having. Like, how do I not lose too much money, but also keep the player's safety first? And I think that's something he's juggling with because right now it's like, all right, it takes a lot to postpone a game. The 76ers started, like, Tyrese Maxi, Isaiah Joe. Like, I watched it because I'm a huge Tyrese Maxi fan, but I'm like, okay, you know, why even play their game against Denver? You know what I mean? Like, why even play it? And Denver looked so uninterested through the first, like, three and a half quarters. Then they kind of turned it up a little bit. But it's if you're missing – the Celtics are missing, what, nine players today? They would have been missing nine players. Why even play the game because the product that you're putting – On the court, is not something that we want to watch. Honestly, if you don't see Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you know, you don't want to watch the Celtics. If you don't see Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, you don't want to watch the 76ers. I mean, I'm just being honest. If AD and LeBron are not playing for the Lakers, you're probably not going to watch the Lakers. If Steph and Draymond are not playing for the Warriors, you're not going to want to watch the Warriors. So they're trying to be cautious about the product they put on the floor and national televised games as well, because a lot of these games are on League Pass. People are watching League Pass a lot more now, NBA TV a lot more now. So what happens if you get a good primetime game and it has to be postponed? Do you postpone it if eight or nine players have COVID? And you're not going to see that star power that you want to see and bring in those ratings. It's a lot that plays into this. That's why I'm so, like, confused. I need clarity. Oh, goodness.
3: Yeah, I, need clarity. Yeah, I do, too. And I actually had a few suggestions for the league, especially since I don't think we were on the last time that they made this change, but the NBA made a change to their rules and procedures to allow for a reduced contract amount for if a player is signed to a 10-day. So previously they would have to be signed for the veterans minimum, which was $1.6 million. But now that has been reduced to 110,000. And it's like, it it seems as though they can make changes to the, you know, the rules uh, for teams. And I know that they don't want to necessarily you know, enforce, you know, allow for hard cap teams to get around and circumvent the salary cap. But at the same time, if they want games, they need to add a few additional, you know, measures. So some of the thoughts that I've had was to add additional roster spots that can be only um, activated if a team has less than eight players available. So just make them available, um, have those individuals tested, which is another thing is that they probably should have a list of players that are eligible to play, but they aren't signed to a team, be regularly tested at the team's facilities so that if they do need to be replaced during a game, then they can, and they're not, you know, exposing folks to COVID. Um, My other thought was that they could change the hardship rule, which is what that, the 10 day contract, um, Um, Change was for is for the hardship rule to further provide more COVID exceptions for teams. So provide that option to teams so that they can um, get more players available and you know um, at a reduced cost for the. board of governors, owners, whatever you want to call them, um, and then provide the ability for teams to field least halfway competent team. It won't be the best um, thing possible, but at least not having that, you know, over you know, over the heads of folks who don't want to play because there's only eight eight, um, team members available. Um, And then the one other thing I thought about as well is just using single-day contracts. So my thought about single-day contracts is that the NHL has this provision where they have an emergency player who is on the roster currently um, or who works for the team or is available for one of their affiliates, which... I, you know, which is sort of what the G League is. But we've seen so far that teams have had G League players who probably would serve as that emergency player get COVID as well. So they probably should have additional folks who aren't around the team so much, um, who can be signed to single day contracts. So they're available for one time. You get they can only sign a single day contract for a certain number of times so that the, you know, hard cap teams can't go around and circumvent the salary cap by signing them to single day contracts for the rest of the season. Um, but then that allow for those players to be able to play. If there's an instance where, you know, half the team is unable to perform. Um, what do you guys think of some of those things I've sort of thought of from the top of my head? Um, I, I don't know if they'll ne- necessarily work or not.
0: I like it. I like it. I like it because it gives guys an opportunity to get out there and showcase their talents, A. And then, B, it gives the NBA a backup plan. Because right now, the NBA doesn't even have a backup plan. They're just kind of postponing games. It's kind of like they're going just off the fly. Like, okay, this is kind of how we're going to do it. We don't really have a backup plan. We're just going to do it like this. I think they expanded the roster. Didn't they expand the roster? Yes, they yeah.
1: did. They expanded the roster. That's not enough.
3: It it was expanded to fifteen from thirteen, but I feel like they need to expand it either even further to allow for these situations to happen, um, that happen, especially if they're saying like, "Oh, we're not going to postpone games." Like, allow for more players. You know, work with the players association to make sure it's fair for the, you know, players association, of course, but then allow for these additional safeguards that will only, you know, knock on wood only happen during this NBA season. And then, you know, moving forward, you don't have to use it again, but it it needs to be discussed more regularly, especially if they're willing to risk additional teams getting sick because they need them to play games. Like there's ways for us to avoid this.
0: Yeah, I I like I like your plan, your ideas. Now, would they the players' association have to approve that? How would that process work? Do you know?
3: Yeah, so most likely they would have to have it, um talk to the players' association, the players' association's board. Um, Chris Paul is still the president of the board, so most likely they would have to have conversations there. Um, but I didn't even see when Bobby Marks made the change to the roster size um, or. Bobby Marks, sorry, he didn't make this change to the roster size. Um, Bobby Marks um, reported about the the changes to the roster size originally, as well as about the change to the um, hardship exception and the contracts for 10 days associated with the hardship exception. I um, it didn't seem as though they necessarily it it wasn't reported that the uh, players association agreed with the board of governors and the commissioner's office. But most likely those conversations did happen in the background. And and the other thing with my plan is that I completely understand that they can't do this immediately. So they probably will need to postpone games until they have all the players who sign up for that. Um, tested and under protocol, whatever that protocol will be, but at least that will allow for a buffer for teams to have additional players available. One of the suggestions that Bobby Marks also had about this was they could potentially have players who are 0 to 3 years in the league be available to do the like the single day contract or be available as an emergency starter for teams so if they're concerned that veteran level players would be used for this and you know they would bring in you know a random um you know Person who probably should be signed to a, a standard contract. They can minimize it to the two-way contract, folks, which is zero to three-year player. Um, so there's ways for this to happen, um, although it would take a little bit of time to become effective, so that teams can, you know, field a at least halfway competent team and not have the concerns that players are susceptible to, uh, you know, physical injuries besides, you know, getting COVID.
0: Yeah, that, that works. Now, how quick can they put this plan together when they only have a 72-game season? Uh, that's the big question. Yeah.
3: It seems as though they were able to make that change to the 10-day contract relative, you know, relatively quickly. I mean, honestly, it's only been, what, the third week of the season? Like, we're getting close to the third week of the season at this point. And yet they were able to make that change, which um, was a pretty substantial change to uh, the rules relatively quickly. Like, like I said, I, I think it would probably take a little bit of thought, like there's probably things that I'm keep, you know, not thinking about when it comes to this process, but I feel like they would rather have some sort of backup plan if it's not like my idea, but something like similar or something like, you know, comparable to that than having to postpone games all the time, because it seems as though they don't want to postpone games and, and then risk players, um, you know, potentially getting hurt. And, you know, one more quick thing I'm just sort of annoyed about when it comes to this situation is that like, when it was announced that the 76ers would have eight folks available, like I completely understood like the frustration that Sixers fans and other fandoms had, but this was at this, uh, I can remember like two and a half weeks ago when the Rockets had this happen, like, you know, they postponed the OKC game, but the next three games, they only had eight to nine players and folks were laughing because it was like the barber shop and all that other stuff. Like this, these are things that, maybe instead of laughing about a situation, which I, you know, I think I actually said on the show that, hey, this is a potentially something that can happen throughout the season. Like instead of laughing, maybe people should have some forethought about, hey, this could potentially happen to my team. Like maybe we should, you know, use our voices on Twitter to suggest ways for the league to do this better instead of having, you know, laughing at folks. But um, that's all I'm going to say about that.
0: That's a, a whole
1: nother show for another day.
0: <laughs> well, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, that, That's that's going to happen. And I, I assume that the postponements will... I think we're going to probably have a postponement maybe once a week. Maybe. Because there's so many games played throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe they let Seth sit on the bench. Like that whole... Just sit on the bench like what? Nothing wrong. And then just
1: pull them pull them aside and then tell and then isolate him yeah that's
3: that's weird that was wild. yeah that, that was I, weird. they should have like if they didn't have all the tests um available for that night they should have um postponed that game until all the tests were available like that's a simple thing that they could do that at least would prevent folks from sitting On, you know, the quote unquote bench is not really a bench anymore, but sitting on the sideline, potentially exposing other folks to COVID. And what was really
1: interesting was KD uh, being in an isolation. um, You know, he had COVID before and he he tested negative like three times um, during this. But again, it goes back to consciousness contact tracing why where was this suspicion you know you know I, I don't i don't get it i don't remember any other net being you know suspected of having covid and, and why would they just single out kd and he tested negative three times
2: so i i think this again goes back to who's breaking this news and who's in control of the information that's coming out Because, like, so, I mean, contact tracing is the process of trying to figure out who may have been exposed to the disease. And so just because, like, you were in a building together doesn't necessarily mean that you had close contact putting you at a very high risk of getting COVID. But you have to do that work to figure it out. And then when you, you know, do find out that you were in that situation, that's when you're supposed to quarantine yourself because you, too, could also be contagious. But what happens is somebody just finds out somebody gets pulled, that message goes out through shams, and we're all suddenly trying to figure out, like, all the health ramifications, and we're trying to figure out, like, I just feel like, A, this is uh, something that we as fans, like, we don't know all the nuances to what's happening, and, like, I, I actually believe that the NBA does have a plan, but... I don't know what it is. They haven't assured us what it is. Like, I can't imagine that they, like, started this league without, like, contingency plans because this league makes so much money and these players and their health is so important. But at the same time, we're running around trying to figure out what it all means when if they just had, like, you know— at NBA COVID or something, some kind of a communication plan that was out in front of explaining to us everything that's going on. Like, here's why Seth was allowed to sit in that game without this, you know, second test having come back. Here's why we investigated this whole team who has been around Seth and why we don't feel like any, but like these two players need to be quarantined. I just, I don't think that they're, giving, they're explaining enough of what's going on to us. What do you all think about that?
1: And that's, just, that is the most aggravating part. You know, there is a lot of information to take in. And again, fans really don't know. And I think they're really they're concerned about is just watching the games and, you know, don't, don't really take in, can account for the pandemic. It's like, it's a lack of information. And the information that's out is, you know, kind of vague, like what I just read off of Twitter, I mean, that, that don't make any sense at all. And it's, it's not enough of clarity. And that's what's really aggravating about this whole
3: situation. And I think overall, before we wrap up about this, the NBA needs to have a better communication plan when it comes to this process. It shouldn't just be dropped by Woj and by Shams and by some of the you know, news breakers. They should at least... Re- release some sort of notification to folks saying like hey here's how we determine this you know if there is a sensitive you know information such as like names they can exclude that of course people will probably figure out who it is because there is a substantially less amount of teams than there are in other leagues but i think other than that the league just needs to communicate it better and then if there's situations such as what happened with Seth where they haven't had gotten the test yet they need to postpone the game at least a few minutes until they figure out who has a positive or negative test and then pull those players before the games happened and then it won't risk as much having someone in the game or potentially around the game who has COVID um, but I think with that let's wrap up the COVID conversation for now. Um it's definitely something that we'll be watching over the next couple of weeks and months as the season progresses. Um, sounds good to folks?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good to me.
3: Yep. So let's talk about some more or maybe depending on the team, um interesting thoughts, which is our initial thoughts about the season so far. I first I want to talk. Or I think we should talk about what surprised us about our teams. Uh, Amber, uh, what are your thoughts about the Thunder so far?
0: They're currently playing the Nets, so I'm watching that game, and they're competitive. It's 43 to 49. Katie's on the floor, but Kyrie, of course, is out for personal reasons. They're competitive. They've had two blowout games this season, but okay, she so has been competitive, and I've been happy with the way they've played. They've obviously don't want to tank. Thank goodness. Thank you. OKC, the young players are playing very well. Growing up before our eyes, there's Bazley, uh, Lou Dort. Al Horford's been pretty good. George Hill's been pretty good. People want George Hill in other places. I'm like, no, we want to keep George. Um, You need that veteran kind of sort of leadership in the locker room, even though you have Al Horford. But I like what Mark has done with the lineups. Now, the second unit lineup is tough to watch some nights. Uh, Right now, I'm watching them right now. Uh, Poku is still trying to figure out, you know, the NBA game speed. Hami has up and down days. Uh, Teo Melo has been playing very well in their second unit. So OKC is coming along. They're they're coming along and they're they're learning as the game goes. Shea and Bays have played very very well for OKC. Right now OKC is four and four. So. They're four and four. And I can't say that I'm mad at that. I thought that it would be a lot worse than it is now, but they could surprise some people and probably make a run for their playing game. Who knows? But I'm very, very, very happy with the way the young guys have been competing thus far. Tara, how do you feel about Portland? They got a big win last night.
2: I am so excited to see C.J. McCollum coming out so hot. He is so deserving of the recognition that he is getting. It has been a long time coming. I'm thrilled that he right now is the third highest scorer. And I know, small sample size, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but currently, he's at the uh, third highest score in the league. He also has very low turnovers. He's also getting a lot of steals. And... Um, Like he's just working on both ends and he's doing all of this averaging two minutes less than he usually has been playing. He and Dame over the last seven years, or maybe like maybe six, including uh, for CJ, they've been playing a lot of minutes. They've been carrying a lot of the load. And so just even having two minutes less a night right now um, is a good sign for me. So I, you know, the win against the Kings was great. I always say the wins, some win the ones you should, and some of the ones you shouldn't. And that was the game that they should win. And they did, uh, they they played other games earlier that they should have won, which they didn't. But, uh, last night they beat the Kings, So that was good. But again, just seeing CJ come out and perform so hard. And like, so Dame is not even the highest score on the team right now. And I don't know when the last time was that happened. Um, And it certainly doesn't seem to be bothering Dame. Um, It's just, I don't know. I'm just so happy to see CJ. So all of y'all, when the all-star voting starts, I don't expect that he's going to get voted in, but I would love to see him at least get, you know, more than he's ever gotten in the past because he is playing out of his mind right now. CJ looks awesome.
1: Okay. For my Warriors, I'm surprised with like nine games going into to 10 tonight of their resiliency, actually. And that's pretty weird to say because I was on one. I was on one, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on one um, and in a previous episode, but I'm, su- I'm surprised at the resiliency. And I think a lot of that has to do with the return of Draymond Green. It has stabilized the team on defense and even an offense as far as playmaking is concerned. And, um, Ubre still can't buy a bucket on credit, but that is okay because uh, he seems to uh, f- has found his niche as far as defense goes, and that's why I believe he's still in the lineup because otherwise he he would have uh, been on the bench for Damian Lee. As far as Steph goes, he he is he's coming along. He's he has been more aggressive, but that's something that he has to maintain. Because he is the tone setter for the team, and wherever he goes, the team goes. And just having him to keep being aggressive, that's gonna be really interesting to watch. And another thing that's interest that will be interesting to watch is again their defense. I mean, this it's been a lot better than it has been, but just seeing Draymond's presence out there and him coaching and directing, I'd like to see how far the they would go. And I was really impressed with the win that they had against the Clippers. They were down by 20 and they could have folded. And I was even expecting them to fold, but they didn't. The bench is, the bench has done that. And and Steph also, and, you know, I think eventually we'll be okay.
2: How fun was it uh, to watch Steph go off against the Blazers and get his career high?
1: (laughs) That was really fun. That was, that was really fun. And speaking of career highs, uh, I guess we will touch it about Bradley Bill later, but he's been on a tear, but he, it's all for not.
2: I, there is nothing worse than watching in my mind than watching your star player get 60 points and lose. And we had that happen last year against, I think it was Atlanta where Damien got like 61 points and it was just like, this sucks so bad you know i'm glad steph got the win i mean i'm not glad that he beat the trailblazers but i'm glad that you know his effort was was in a win and i've you know as a trailblazer fan it was painful to watch them lose but it was also exciting to see what you've been saying for a long time which is that steph just needs to go off and watching him just go off from the beginning was like yeah dude that's your game
1: <laughs> and that's what, that's what really aggravates me sometimes ab- about how Steph does i mean i know he want to get everybody involved but it's like he he is not aware of the you know the moment or he's trying to pick and choose on when to do that but sometimes you can't do that because that'll cost your team but that's that's just how i see it though and i think for the
3: rockets it, it's definitely been an a up- in down season so far they were the poster you know child for covid issues um from harden to you know having most of their players unavailable for a number of games etc and now other teams are unfortunately feeling the side effects of that but I think all things considering for them to be a game under 500 and having a really great game versus the uh, magic the other night, uh, which of course the magic were low, um, or they didn't have too many players available either, but that was mostly because of injury concerns. They lost um, Mikel Folks Ful- through the season because of a MCL ACL issue. Um, they have had, you know, a number of players just unavailable. So, but it was just great to see the Rockets go out and do like the things that we have gotten used to the Rockets um, doing in the past, which is like blowout teams by a substantial number. And it's been good to see that the ball is one moving like for the first time, I think uh, actually I did the, the look, I looked it up and it was like the first time in like more than a decade at this point that the Rockets had 35 assists for a game and um, that was the other night versus the Magic. And there's been a few times this season that they've had over 30 assists. So it's it's a little bit of a different look, of course, since they do have a new coach and Steven Silas. I really enjoy Coach Silas, and he's been incredible from both a PR perspective and on court, even through some of the losses and I think tonight versus the Lakers it'd be interesting to see how they play especially I guess AD maybe sitting I think that's the latest thing but LeBron's definitely playing so we'll see how it goes.
1: After all of the stuff that's been reported about Harden and his situation in Houston do you think he'll stay a bit you know as he continue to play with the team and get that camaraderie and that chemistry do you think he'll stay like you know he wants to stay
3: i i don't know but i i think there's two positive things that have happened so one he said yesterday during their um they had a press conference after their um practice he said that this team could um this team could potentially be special like we could potentially be special was the quote i think that's positive that he's using we for um, describing the team versus, you know, sort of using like them or they. Um, and I think the other th- thing, too, I made a tweet on uh, on Twitter saying that it's been 16 days since we've heard a rumor about him adding a Um, team to his list of teams he wants to be traded to. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a joke, but it it really isn't. We've had, you know, there's been folks discussing like where he should go and um, he's being selfish and all that other stuff, but there haven't been those leaks from, you know, inside sources, whoever they are when it comes to the situation for more than two weeks at this point. So I, I, don't want to necessarily say he won't be traded. I I, I think that it could happen, and quite frankly, uh, I I'm not worrying about that so much. I'm just worrying about what's happening today and how you know the team has a potential to be good. But at the same time, I'm not um, you know I'm not naive that it couldn't happen. I, I'm just happy that they're at least having those conversations in the background and not be, it's not being leaked all over the place, and that we're not having to discuss it all the time.
2: And ostensibly, it could be that they, if they do part, you know, it could be on better terms than you know the mess that it was a couple weeks ago or a month ago. Uh, you know, like kind of like with Anthony Davis when. Everything was like everybody was so fraught at the beginning of that and then things calmed down and then the teams were actually able to do their work of trying to, you know, figure out what a good and fair trade was. Yeah. And when it came to
3: Anthony Davis, it took six months for him to be traded at the end of the season. Like I can see that happening again with Harden. If that does happen. But I feel as though, like, outside of the Sixers, but the Sixers are playing pretty well, you know, until the COVID stuff has happened. They were what seven and two, or seven, they're seven and three now, something like that. that seven so, th- right now, I believe. yeah. Um, but they have had a really good season so far, and that's even without Harden. So, and I think that was the best quote unquote fit for him that would allow for you know good pieces to be moved to the Rockets. The rest of the you know teams, such as the Nets, who lost Spencer Didwoody for the season, which is really unfortunate, but he would have been potentially part of the package, and they didn't really have a good package anyway. And a few other teams that he put on his list, um, or at least according to rumors, they didn't really have what the Rockets would like. And it would most likely take a third team to get involved with that. And, you know, other than a couple of teams, like, you know, the Sixers, um, who else, I guess, like, you can count the Lakers and a few others who are like, you know, seven and two, you know, that sort of caliber everyone's squished together we're having real real parity this year when it comes to the league um there's not going to be a third team who's necessarily wanting to do a trade until later on when it looks as though they're out of the you know hunt for the playoffs so i think for now um harden's probably content that at least it doesn't look like the um rockets you know even though they're one game under 500 it's not like they're tanking like there's a reason why they're four and five and it looks as though you know when they have most of their players available they can play pretty well so maybe that's allowed him to at least feel comfortable enough with giving it a little bit more of a go um but that's just my opinion about it but i guess speaking of that unless anyone else had any thoughts about those four teams the next thing we want to talk about is what's su- surprised us about other teams not the Rockets or OKC or the uh, Blazers or the Warriors um, what's surprised us about other teams maybe in a positive way so far um, Janelle what what are your thoughts or what are some teams that are um, surprising you the teams
1: that's been surprising to me are the Hawks the Hornets and the Knicks I'll, I'll go with the Hornets first. Um, they are playing pretty well. LaMelo Ball is going to be special. And I believe that, you know, he should be starting. I mean, last night he had a triple, triple-double. And, you know, it seems like he has been learning the game and really been progressing ahead of schedule. I mean, I get, you know, the, trying to develop him and all of that, but I believe he should start alongside Terry Rozier, and just see how that would look and see how the pace of of their game would change. know, I I find that fascinating. The Hornets are actually fun to watch other than um, watching them for their broadcast team. (laughs) And the Knicks, they, they haven't been sorry as they've been in the past. And I think a lot of that has to do with Tom Thibodeau. He is trying to develop a culture there, a culture of accountability, a culture that's predicated on, I would assume, defensive principles and and just really just fighting and gutting it out. I'm really interested to see if this can sustain or you should take this small sample size with a grain of salt. And with the Hawks, I mean, they came out blazing uh, during the first few games. And now the report's out with John Collins and uh, Trey Young. I'm interested to see how they would, you know, manage during the season. And with a couple of games, I think Trey is taking it to heart. And he's not really playing like himself. You know, he had a couple of games with like only – one game he had like seven, and, and the last game he had was like what, fourteen or fifteen points? I'm mean, not, I, I can't really remember, but I'm just curious to know if he's doing that on purpose.
2: I did not read the. I'm totally guilty of the thing that I always um, complain about, in that I saw the headline but didn't read into what's going on between. Trey Young and John Collins, but it shocked me to find out that there was um, some kind of tension on that team because that team had come out playing so strong. Um, Like, does anybody else have any thoughts on that? You brought it up, Janelle. Did, I mean, and you're thinking that maybe Trey is uh, reacting to it. What else do we know? What I do,
1: uh, I guess not much because I know what I do know is that, you know, they have, signed Rajan Rondo for a reason. he you could you could say that he has declined totally or or whatever the case may be, but the main reason why they brought Rajan in, in my opinion is that for leadership. I mean Rajan Rondo has been there, you know, and he's sort of like a mentor to Trey and I'm wondering what is he doing? Is he doing anything at all? the kind of the attentions down. This, this is a young team and he's one of the more proven vets. What is he doing? What can he do? When you have a um, young superstar like Trey and the pressures around him trying to be the leader and also, you know, kind of feeling himself as far as stardom goes, what can he possibly say?
3: So there was actually two things I saw in that article. One was that John Collins felt like he wasn't getting the ball enough and he didn't feel like he was a good fit. Um, I mean, there's also the thing that we already knew is that he he was the one who declined signing the rookie extension. So he's probably, you know, sort of betting on on himself. And I don't think the last two games sort of indicate that he is – backpedaling on that just to spite trey young i don't think that makes sense whatsoever i think it's just a you know he just had a bad couple of nights um my main concern is that i think with rondo the last you know season or two he's definitely gotten back to getting a good reputation when it comes to teams um and i think that's well deserved but I can still remember that he's had a not good experience when it comes to teams that aren't necessarily in the playoff hunt, or at least not in the championship hunt. The Mavericks are the biggest example, and it seems as though he can, and I don't know if he is, and I'm not watching all of their games, but he can seem to rub the wrong way with certain players if they don't necessarily match his intention or it, his um, intensiveness or whatever you want to define it as. So I, I don't know when it comes to Rondo, I'm just speculating, but he can be sort of hot and cold when it comes to certain teams in his leadership style. And that's probably something to watch as we're moving forward.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Rondo's out right now with an injury. I think I'm thinking, right. Um, because he hadn't played, he hasn't played in in a while. So I think he's out with the injury right now. But I loved Rondo, the move for him from LA to Atlanta, just to help that young guard out. I mean, John Collins is gonna be who he is, but I just want to see the development of Trey Young. And he can't let what one person says about him infect his game. Only 72 games. A lot of people have high expectations for Atlanta. And I like Coach Pierce a lot. I like that roster a lot. They don't play much defense. (laughs) But in the NBA, who does these days? Because it's so catered towards the offense anyway. And they're fun to watch. Like the Hornets, them and the Hornets the other day was fun to watch. I watched a little bit of their game. That was fun. You know, to see LaMelo and and Trey Young go at it. That was fun. And then... Both of those players showing respect for one another after the game. I enjoy seeing these young, fun teams play. You're going to get these older veteran teams, Lakers, Clippers, um, teams like that. But I like the young teams. I like the young guns. I want to see what the future of the NBA looks like. And I think they should get more televised games. Now, my team that I'm loving watching is the Phoenix Suns. I don't know about y'all, but I love watching Phoenix play. Matty Williams has done a great job. With their team. James Jones has done a great job with their roster. So the way they've built their roster around Devin Booker, and then they inserted Chris Paul, another veteran who's doesn't have championship experience, but is a proven winner, even though he hasn't been to the finals. It says a lot about what the Suns organization wants to do for Devin Booker. And him taking the next step and getting to the playoffs, them going eight and on the bubble i told people that Aiden knowing the bubble will be momentum for next season. People were like, oh, it was just a bubble. Ha, ha, ha. No, they've carried that momentum into this season, and I love it. I love it. Bridges had a, a career high. I think he had 29 the other night. Um, I'm waiting for DeAndre Aiden to kind of come around a little bit more, but Cam Johnson's playing well. Cameron Payne is playing well. Devin Booker's being Devin Booker. They have those pieces there in Phoenix. They really do. Number two in the West right now, I think, because they lost the other day and they won the other night. So they're number two in the West right now, I think, behind the Lakers. Clippers beat the Bulls today. So those are your top three teams in the West, the Lakers, Clippers, and Suns. Denver has disappointed me. Sometimes they show up. Sometimes they don't. I don't know what's going on with Denver. I knew Jamal Murray couldn't stay that hot outside the bubble. Like I knew that wasn't going to happen. But where is Denver? I just I don't trust Denver. I've said that before, but I was expecting more from Denver, even though I thought they took a step back when they lost Grant and he's averaging 24 points again right now for Detroit. I really want to see more from Denver. I really do. Utah is what it is. They paid a man that only plays defense $205 million. I just whatever. But I expected to see more from Denver. And also I'm really happy what the Suns are bringing to the table. I knew the Lakers would be the Lakers. The Clippers, we're going to see how they can continue to have this chemistry throughout the season if they can stay healthy. But I'm really happy with with the way the Suns are playing right now.
2: It sounds like you think that what they've got going on is sustainable through the whole season.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As long as Chris Paul stays healthy, I think they're going to be okay. It looks like since he picked up the plant diet here in OKC, um that he's been more healthy. He had that dunk in the all-star game, and he said that's due to my plant diet. So, you know, the plant-based diet that he's on. So, you know, I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. You just they'll lose some games, of course. It's the NBA, the Lakers are gonna lose games, teams are gonna lose games. But the way they're they're playing is very sustainable because everybody understands their role. I said that a lot. That's what happened with the Clippers last year. Not everybody understood but, their role. You know what I mean? So
2: Well, and I I see them having a successful season, but struggling in the playoffs because of their just like because they haven't been there.
0: Oh yeah, they got one guy who has though, and that one guy can can really galvanize his troops and just can't get to the finals. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, but it's tough to get to the finals. LeBron talks about it like it's tough to get to the finals year after year after year after year, but that's a six eight forward. Chris Paul is a 6 foot point guard. So, you know, the load for Chris Paul and the load for LeBron is is different. LeBron's just a bigger guy. He can handle more of that that load. He doesn't have the injury history that Chris Paul has, so it's different with LeBron. You know, people say wings win, win rings, you know what I mean? And it's hard for a point guard like Shai to carry a team on his back to the finals. And even he got one against the Lakers, but It's very, very difficult for a small point guard to carry a team to the finals. It hasn't been done since Iverson, so there's a reason why.
2: Yeah, I think Paul sets up Phoenix really well for the future. And even if he's just there for one year, you know, I think I've talked about before about the idea of Chris Paul is just coming in to like get everybody in order and get everybody, like you said, filling it, figuring out what their what their role is and then it just—it's just gonna take experience playing together.
3: And for me, um, real fast, the Knicks have definitely been my favorite team to watch. Surprisingly, um, I think Thibodeau has gotten a lot of grief about running players too hard, and I, I think we all know like the rumors over the last you know several years um, about him. But I think that he found a really good fit with this um, Knicks roster, Julius Randall is looking really, really solid um, over there. And a lot of the growth of that team seems to be based on Thibodeau's approach and him not having to be both GM or president of operations. And the coach of the team is really helping him. So I, I think it's been a nice thing to see a, you know, a team like the Knicks be, you know, successful and have the better record compared to Brooklyn Nets, which is sort of funny um, right now. But of course that will probably balance out as the season progresses. And real quick, while um, in the last few minutes, I think it's probably also worth talking about what has disappointed us about some of the teams or the league in general so far. Um, I don't know who wants to start, but I think we probably should say like not including the COVID stuff. Um Go
2: ahead. So I'll I'll jump in. Um, and actually I I didn't say what I. Uh, so I'll I'll just talk oh, sorry, about what I think. That. Th- that's to- no, that's totally fine. But I just wanted to say, it, and I don't have to talk about what's disappointing me because really it's all the COVID stuff, and we've already talked about all that. But one of the things that uh, I am I have seen gone well and have been like uh, pleasantly surprised about is just this rookie class. They are <laughs> so much fun to watch. Kind of following it up on what Amber was saying. I mean. I am loving Tyrese Maxey. I already, like, loved him because I, like, looked at him. There were, like, three or four players that I kind of, like, looked into before the draft because they were sort of in the draft range when Portland had a draft, a first-round pick. Tyrese Maxey was one of them, and I loved him. And just looking at him making the most of his opportunities under whatever circumstances he's getting that opportunities, it's great to see him playing well. Like, LaMelo turns out super fun. Like, like, you know, like Lonzo is like a good player, but he was never like I never, was, you know, was that like on the edge of my seat. But like with Lamella, like he's really fun to watch. Press Achua, I love watching him. That guy like hustles. And then, of course, we've got Wiseman and Edwards. I'm just overall so thrilled because, like, I think I've, I've also said this before on this podcast, like, I felt so bad for this particular class having to sit around all those extra months listening to all the pundits say, well, this is like a really mediocre class. And having all these guys just, like, tear right out of the gate and just, like, make an impact right from the beginning, I think is super exciting.
3: Yeah, I think there was always the potential for this class, maybe not to have like that super star, whatever player, but have like a sustainable, good amount of really outstanding players who can be, you know, either like that second star or you know potentially the main star in the future. So I never got that um, thought that hey, they would it would be like an awful draft. It was just going to be. A draft where our teams would have to find the best fits for their team, and then moving forward, be able to contribute that way.
2: Yeah, but they were just—they were called mediocre over and over and over. (laughs) You know, in the in the news or you know in in the preview, they'd be like, "Well, there's there's the first two guys, they're really good, and then there's a massive drop off." And I just I felt like that. I mean, you know how it is to like you know, try to sell things or whatever people, things get overblown. But I just, the whole time, you know, the season was off. I just kept thinking, man, these guys are just sitting at home going, okay, so I'm mediocre. I'll show you what I got. And um, I just, it's just been even better than I thought it was going to be.
0: I didn't think they were mediocre. I just thought they would take time to develop. Like, I just thought this was a developmental draft. Like, it but when you, Think about it, how the NBA has changed. It's nothing to score 20 points a game now. Whereas probably 10 years ago, it was tough to score 20 points a game. The NBA is catered more towards offense. If you can score, you can play in the NBA. I mean, it's Trey Young's not very good on defense, but guess what he can do? Score. <laughs> a lot of points. You put the ball in a basket and play decent defense, I don't have to play decent defense. Long as your other teammates can hide your deficiencies on defense, then you'll, you can play in the NBA. I still think it's going to take time for this draft to develop. I think guys got put in the right situations, though. LaMelo got put in a good situation in Charlotte because he has two other guards that can score. Devontae Graham and Scary Terry can score. James Wiseman got put in a great situation in, in Golden State. Steve Kerr is finally simplifying things for those young players. Thank you. Thank goodness. I know Janelle mentioned this in the past. Thank goodness. he simplified things. They're playing a lot better. Steph's being aggressive. James Wiseman is doing his job, period. Anthony Edwards, he he's played well. He played well against San Antonio. He had a you know, mistake at the end of the game, but he's playing very well for Minnesota. Patrick Williams in Chicago, he's playing decent. Killian Hayes is out with a hip something, and he had something happen with his hip. Poku still trying to figure it out for OKC. Teo Meladone is doing what he does. Well, OKC, he'll get better. But these rookies have played better than I expected them to play, but they're still developmental. Like, it's still going to take them some time to get acclimated to the game, I believe. But will there be a rookie all-star this year? I don't think so. Um, but this class does have a lot of potential to be a pretty good class. So I'm very impressed with the way the young guys have played thus far. They've actually surprised me in the way they played thus far with no many, no camp, pretty much no camp, no summer league. And they've just jumped right in and played pretty well so far. I, I enjoy watching the young guys play. I really do. I'll watch the young guys play. Like if Memphis plays Atlanta, I'm watching it. You know what I mean? Even though John Morant's out with his ankle, but I'm watching that, you know, because it's it's the future of the NBA. These are the fu- this is the future. Of the NBA. I like watching those veteran guys play, but I love watching that young energy run up and down the floor.
3: Yeah. And I guess the other thing too, when it comes to the success, and I think it's definitely based on their, you know, them getting, you know, on the court and starting out gangbusters more or less, but the other thing, too, is that there isn't really much tape for most of the guys other than the international players, and some of the international players didn't have much tape either because of the fact there wasn't the NCAA tournament. A lot of their games during that last season were you know, postponed or canceled because of COVID. There wasn't a lot of visibility where folks would usually be able to say, oh, this player's decent, even if it was a bad thought, and there wasn't the ability for you know, one person to stand out because of an outstanding um, tournament season. So when it comes to that, I feel as though that's maybe why a lot of folks said it was mediocre, because quite frankly, no one was able to see it unless they were scouting the, you know, they were a scout and were being sent to some of those um, players and teams um, that they were on, you know, years before. And maybe that's why that has allowed for the drafting and also the players that were signed as um, you know, non-drafted free agents to really shine and show the success of the um, scouting units across the league because they've essentially were able to take what was available and find the best fits for them. So maybe that's a positive for the NBA is that, the scouting departments and the um, front offices across the league are actually showing success even through a very difficult time, which was the, um, you know, pandemic season. Um, But we'll see as the season goes on. One thing, a couple of things that disappointed
1: me about the season so far is the up and down nature of the Clippers. I mean, the other night they had a 20 point lead against the Warriors and they just fell apart. Uh, Kawhi Leonard isn't playing as great as he usually does. Um, and, you know, they've been having issues as far as chemistry goes and even leadership. And I, I keep going back to leadership because, you know, there's so many ways to be a leader. And it's not necessarily production. You know, I know that's leading by example, but being vocal you know, communicating, that's what matters, especially like when you're playing defenses and you know, and it's time like if it's time for you to rotate or switch on to someone else, and you know, you miss that assignment and just everything just go falls apart. You know, you have to be able to communicate and people have to be able to, to take the communication and even the criticism. And for the clippers, you know, I don't I don't really see that. And another thing that's surprising about them is the play of Paul George. I mean, you know, he has been getting a lot of flack for the implosion that they've had in the bubble. But he's really taken it personally and you know, has really been steady their offense. I know Ty Lue have some kinks to work out, but even though it's been surprising, I think they'll be fine eventually. Because, you know, we still have at least 10 more games to see who these teams really are. I mean, we're only 10 games in. I know we have mentioned the future of the league, and I want to touch in on that. And and it's not really surprising, but it's exciting to watch how teams develop. A lot of fans have forgotten how teams really develop. They develop organically. You know, One season, you you know, you may not make the playoffs, but the strides are there. And they keep adding and adding and adding until they get over the hump. And that's just going to be really exciting to watch how Atlanta gets over the hump, how Charlotte will get over the hump. In that regards, you know, just the organic nature of how you form a team is really exciting to me.
2: Who else has something that has uh, maybe disappointed? Janelle, you talked a little bit about um, the Clippers out of the out the gate, and you talked about the the leadership. And before we go on, I wanted to ask if you guys caught Bismack Biombo. I think it was Biambo, um, uh with Lamelo with Lamello Ball uh, at the end of that game where he was hunting for his first triple double. Is it Biombo who plays for the Hornets? Yes, I... it's not those, Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the very end of the game, uh, with like uh, no time left on the shot clock, basically Lamelo passed it uh, off so that he could, uh, uh, maybe, so that he could get his tenth assist to get a triple double. And this is all speculation. Um, and then at the end of the game, after the game was over, and they ended up getting the win, like Lamelo Ball was like all excited. He was going out and high fiving everyone, and he got a look from Bismack Piombo that looked like it shook LaMelo to his tennis shoes. I see that. I didn't see, I didn't see Well, and it reminded me like uh it's kind of like that whole like young guys and the older guys and I I really do like too how the young how the older guys are embracing this younger generation and it reminded me of like Damian Lillard's first game in the NBA at the end of a game where they were I think if I'm remembering this correctly because it was a long time ago um the Blazers, I believe, were blowing out somebody or they were like way behind. But basically, the game was over and Damian Lord went and dunked. And he was told under no uncertain terms by the people who were on the court, we do not do that in the NBA. And so this whole interaction between LaMelo uh, reminded me of that.
1: And that dunk, Lillard's dunk, reminded me of Jordan Bell when he did that uh, toss off the glass against Dallas a couple of years back. I, I think it was David West that got on him about that, and he was in Steve Kerr's doghouse for a long time for that. So I think it's really interesting to learn more about the unwritten rules of the game.
3: No, I agree. Yeah. I think that could be an entire show of those like unwritten slash unspoken rules that only come up on occasion. Um, because of someone doing a faux pas, um, but we can definitely talk that about that another time. Um, I think just in general, there you know, outside of the COVID stuff, um, there hasn't really been too many things that have disappointed me when it comes to the season so far. Like I think once the season started, it looks as though all the teams aren't tanking. Like there isn't like that team. Like even you know. I guess right now, who are some of the teams that aren't playing too well? Um, oh, I can't even remember which teams aren't playing as well. But just in general, there's a lot of teams that aren't like there, you know, there isn't like this team where it's like, oh, they're definitely tanking the season. That has definitely been a positive. Um, and just trying to figure out how the standings for the league is going to at the end of the day is has been really fascinating to see um and i think once i know that there's it's only a 72 state game season but at the same time it's still relatively early um we know that at this point you know there's only a few teams who have played their 10th game so far and yes sure we're you know almost a 10th of us are of the season in but At the same time, there's a lot of room for folks to, you know, teams to gel for teams to, you know, sort of drop out of the race and get back into the race. So it's fun to see how things are going so far and hopefully we'll continue to see, you know, pretty good play during the season. I guess maybe the one thing that has been disappointing is the amount of blowouts there's been. It's been sort of like unusually um, amount of blowouts and it's from like teams we wouldn't expect. Like, of course we know about the Clippers and that 51 game or 51 point loss that they had versus the Mavs. But then the next night they'll go and beat someone else by like 20, 25 points. So, Seeing stuff like that has been really fascinating. I I wonder if that will continue to progress as the season goes, and maybe that happened because of like COVID, you know, protocol stuff. But just in general, like the amount of blowouts across the board has been a fascinating subject to watch. Dame had a theory
1: about the blowouts. He thinks that it's because there's you know the lack of fans have been one reason behind it, and it's fascinating because you know you really don't. Believe that players, because they're professional, you know, they this is what they do, this is what they love to do, you know, really feed off of that energy. And it's a difference. I know it feels weird not having the, the roar, and they even know that whatever noise that they have in the arenas is artificial and it's not the same. It's just really interesting how that affects. Uh, certain teams.
2: Do you think you have anybody on your team who's specifically uh, uh, affected by that? Who, me? Yeah. Or anybody.
1: They, they, they say saying that Ubre is affected by it. You know, I guess he's one of those high energy guys that really needs that energy to get himself going. But yeah. the only thing that he could do is... Stop trying to be clay and play his game. He he is not a spot up kid because he can't shoot. He's 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 better off slashing, you know, and hustling on defense.
3: And I don't think that's necessarily fair that to say that he can't shoot because he was shooting forty plus percent the last few, you know, couple of seasons, I I think it's probably worth giving him a little bit of a break since he is still, I know that um, Kerr has reduced the uh, playbook after trying to infuse the previous style. So that may allow for Oubre and some of the other folks to sort of get used to a more reduced playbook. But in general, I feel like with when it comes to all the teams and if they're getting, you know, momentum based on, the crowd or not. I mean, overall they're human. So everyone has things that allow them to be successful and not be successful. And we also just don't know what's happening with them individually. Like they're a part of the co- you know, the COVID and the pandemic as well. Um, we, we just don't know. So I, I've been sort of taking everything as like, it seems as though all these guys are trying as hard as they can and we'll continue cons- continue to see these teams gel and these players you know hopefully find their rhythm as the season progresses and it's only like you know seven to ten games in we'll see what happens after that
2: amber do you think there's anybody on your team that's particularly affected by lack of fans Uh, yours are also young
0: on your team basketball like my okc thunder just want to play basketball like, I think the young guys are just itching to play. George Hill's a vet. He's been there, done that. Al Horford's a vet. He's been there, done that. They just want to go out there and play. Right now, we're tied with the Nets in the third quarter, 74 to 74. So we're we're doing good. OKC's okay? so doing good. So I think they just want to play and have fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the older players that are more affected than the younger players. The young players just say, hey, oh, I, to the NBA. I want to have fun. And okay. I love it. I love it.
2: I was going to say that um, I think I do think that uh, Portland's Yusuf Nurkic is really missing the fans. That's total pure speculation, but he's a guy who thrives off of the crowd. And um, I, I think it's hard for, I do think that maybe it is the older guys who are more used to it, like you were saying, Amber. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, I, the, a lot about the season just kind of makes me sad in general, because I think about, you know, what the players are missing because they can't go out in the different, um, you know, cities that they visit. And, um, you know, I think about how it's hard for us and it's got to be just as hard for them. And so I just, I can't wait till it's over, but I know it's a long ways away.
0: I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, ladies about COVID and about our teams and surprises and disappointments. This season will bring a lot. It will bring a lot of uncertainty Will the NBA adjust its COVID rules? How do the players feel? How do fans feel? What kind of impact does social media have on the NBA's decisions? I think we should discuss that probably in another show, because I really think the social media has a huge impact on the way the NBA is ran these days. I mean, we wanted games before Christmas or on Christmas Day. We got games three days before Christmas. (laughs) I mean, the social media push is beautiful, ladies. And I really appreciate everyone's conversation, everyone's thoughts. Brittany, you're so well thought out when you talk about the rules and the rule book. You know that so well. I just really know the X's and O's. So everybody brings something a little bit different um, to the conversation. So we appreciate all you guys for listening. For Amber, Tara, Janelle, and Brittany, we are signing off and we will see you guys next week, I think. Right, ladies? Next week? yep yep yes okay and this is another episode of step back sisterhood
3: So I'm watching the I know this isn't a live reaction thing, but I'm watching the Rockets versus Lakers and there's a fight or well skirmish going on right now. So I, I feel like we probably should be close to wrapping up so I can figure out what happened. <laughs> um but um Amber, sorry about that. Continue on if he has Oh no,
0: you're fine. You're fine. I just said <laughs> okay, see it's tied. What well, can brand oh, you did?
3: No huh? They took the lead seventy nine to seventy six. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think this season is just going to be very intriguing. And we'll have another check in in the next couple of weeks to discuss some of the latest things. And hopefully we won't have to have as much of a conversation about COVID. Yeah. Does anyone else have
2: anything else to talk about before we wrap up?
0: I just love the way OKC is playing. Thunder up. (laughs) I think we got to go check out that fight.